Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 349. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey, how's it going? Coming in with the, the good audio this week. We're all in Watch for a out. treat. Kevin's got the good audio. <laughs> <laughs> Being professional today. This week, we're also joined by my co-host on the Save by the 90s podcast, Ken Bakley. Hey, Ken. Hello. Another year has come and gone. And with that, it's time to count down our top films of 2019. Thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, you can check out filmpulse.net for lists from everyone on the crew starting today. So check that out. Kevin's got his top 50 as usual, along with his top performances lists. Lots of lists coming. Watch out. Really great lists. Yeah, I'm working on a uh, horror list, so I'll have top 10 horror movies, and then the uh, top list from everybody else on the site as well. So yeah, be sure to give that a look. I think what we're going to do this year, as we've done pretty much every other year, is just go through our top 10s one by one, and then have a little chat about it, and then maybe talk about some of the trends that happened this year maybe some other honorable mentions to throw in there underseen movies underappreciated movies all of that stuff we're gonna try to get it all get it all in there with that i think we can kick off the lists and ken i think we'll start it with you since you're our guest this week i'm honored uh we'll start with my number 10 and Mm -hmm. my number 10 is ryan johnson's knives out I was uh, kind of fiddling around with my list, especially the last few slots, right up until basically I filed my written version of the list with you late last night. And that was only because I had to, I just basically told myself, stop changing it because you're going to keep messing with it until 2021. But yeah, Knives Out, it's good. It's making a lot of money. If you're, many of you have probably seen it by now. And it's good, right? Yeah. Yeah, I heard that there was like a, I don't know if this is like verified, but just chatter on Twitter saying that this was, there's a little bit of a like resurgence of this in theaters around the holiday. Like, yeah, it's doing it pretty well like a month ago, but people, I guess, word of mouth and, and all that got around. And now people are a lot more people are seeing this. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's great. This is on, this is on my list. It's a little bit higher up on my list. Ooh. Yeah. Kevin, Fortune. what's your number 10? My number ten is us. If you, that's also my number believe. ten. So, <laughs> if you, it's hard to it's believe, but that movie came on my out. list at a certain at a certain position, a little bit higher. Yeah, it is. It is. This is one of these early early year movies that March, I think. Yeah, which feels like twenty sixteen. Yes, it's been a long fucking year. It has been. I was trying to think about if if twenty nineteen was longer than twenty eighteen. Yes, it was. It was, was like it? two years. Because last year was a year and a half. 2018, I believe we had this exact conversation yeah. last year. 2020 will not only feel a lot longer than 2019, I'm predicting, it'll also be longer because it's a leap year. Yes. Yeah. And it it's going to feel like three years. And it's yeah, also going to be the worst year ever. Yeah. Feel it in my bones. Oh, yeah. I don't have great. I don't have a uh, great feeling about the first year of the new decade. No. Nor do I, honestly us uh yeah i mean what's what's there to say about this that hasn't already been said it's a really solid horror film from jordan peele this uh i you know i was a little a little worried i was confident but also a little worried that 
you know, this is his second feature and a lot of times people have difficulty with their with their second feature, but he didn't seem to have a problem with this at all. He just killed it. Yes, correct. You have a lot of really great performances in this as well. Mm-hmm. Chock full. Absolutely. Chock full great performances. Yeah, I mean, comparing it to Get Out, I don't think it's as strong, quite as strong as Get Out, but it's funny, like, I've been meaning to to go back and rewatch this. I'm really anxious to watch this again. I haven't seen it since it first came out. And Same here. And it, I had the I had the issue of it being an early release and me not having seen it for so long that I kept wanting to drop it because all the other films are, you know, far fresher mm-hmm. in my mind. But at a certain point, I you know, you can't hold that against the film. Right. Yeah. yeah. I actually saw it slightly more recently. I saw it, I think, shortly after it came out on VOD because for some reason I missed it while I was in the while I was in theaters. And yeah, you know, it, it was just kind of lingering there on my list throughout the whole year. But uh, I still felt there had to be a place for it somewhere. All right, Ken, what's your number nine? My number nine is Booksmart. Oh, okay. Uh, I just rewatched this last night. Came away with a slightly even greater appreciation of how great how, how great movie it is, how funny and perceptive. And uh, I also want an entire second movie that is just uh, Will Forte and Lisa Kudrow's characters naming graduation-related food puns. <laughs> they, you know, they could easily make a sequel to this that takes place in college. Mm-hmm. Just, just have it be their freshman in college. I would love, I would love a sequel to this. As long as there's more food puns. Oh, there will, there will be food puns. In a movie filled with great scenes, that's a great scene. Kevin, have you seen this yet? No, I have not. This is one that I didn't get, get to. on it. Get mm-hmm. on. one day, one day, we will we will speak of Booksmart. Today's not that day, at least not for me. But at some point, yes, it's it'll happen. You got to be patient. I feel like, and I've said this before on previous episodes. I feel like comedies are very few and far between. Good comedies are very few and far between these days. Mm-hmm. I feel like for for many years we would just get tons of comedies throughout the year great comedies and then it just sort of dried up and i i just don't think we get that many truly great comedies and this this one certainly is one of the best comedies of the year hands down beanie feldstein for president yeah she's so good kevin what's your number nine my number nine is parasite wow have you heard of it yeah i I think i might have have you you seen that yeah, this is this is on my list as well. Ken, I'm sure it's on your list too. Absolutely. Parasite. I just it, it's it's insane to me 2019 that every major theater in my area was playing Parasite. I never thought, you know, back in high school with us buying, you know, bootleg DVDs off of eBay, <laughs> yeah. that I would be able to go to the movie theater and see a Bong Joon-ho movie, and like it would be, you know, talked about by everyone. 2015 is wild. Yeah, it's just, it's a wild time that we're living in. Yeah, I mean, uh, like when Memories of Murder came out, I don't don't even think there there was any kind of easy way to see that in the States. I think that was, did, did you buy that? I think. I think so. I think you bought that. I think that was an eBay purchase. So many eBay purchases. And it was just, the movies were just so so hard to get back then. And now, yeah, like you said, this is playing everywhere. And 
I think that's just a, a testament to the power of this movie. I, like, I don't know if it's a word of mouth thing again with this movie that it, that it's just getting so much acclaim that it is ending up in these smaller theaters. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I, it is. I don't know what it is, but I'm very happy that it is. Yes. I mean, maybe, Me well. also maybe the distributor, this is a neon release and they've been putting out larger releases. So it might have to do with the distributor as well. A lot of these Asian films, they end up going to like, well go or one of these other smaller american distributors that don't have the power to release them in 2000 theaters you know i'm actually surprised it's that low on your list i'm saddened actually that it's that low on your list hmm. well i'm sorry it's my list fucking deal with it <laughs> my favorite thing about when people compare their top 10 lists is that somehow it causes more uh surprise when a movie that someone else has is like their number one or two is someone else's like seven or eight or nine than if it wasn't there at all. Yeah. Like you should be happy. It's on my list. I, I'm, right? I'm happy. It's on your list. Kevin's I, about to I mean, retroactively it, go back and read it one star on letterboxd. No, I, it's, it, I take it off. It's yeah. a chain for life is my number nine. Mm-hmm. See, Ugh. how do you, how, are you happy now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm being punished now. <laughs> You know what? Nobody gets Parasite now. <laughs> Parasite is now descended from number... Uh, Take it off your list, too. Yeah, now, now Parasite <laughs> is descended from Kevin's number nine to somewhere in, like, the uh, high 70s. God. <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? Uh, all right. Uh, my number nine is The Art of Self-Defense from Riley Stearns. Oh, this man. is a movie that I, I don't think ended up on... I don't think a lot of people saw this movie. I forgot in all general this movie, to be honest. I really loved this movie. I think it's really smart. It's really funny. And it's a it's that great kind of absurdist humor that, that I love, but it's surprisingly dark too. And I've just found the script to be so refreshing. So this this had to make it to my list. I know, Kevin, you haven't seen this. Ken, have you seen The Art of Self-Defense? There is so much I haven't seen this year. I, I, for various reasons, I was not able to watch as much this year as I did last year. So unfortunately, the answer for a lot of these is going to be maybe not. I know I didn't. I didn't see it. So, I, yeah, I think this is just such an underrated title for the the year. So, the art of self defense. Check it out, Ken. What's your number eight? My number eight was Us, which we already discussed. All right. Good yeah. Movie. If you haven't seen us yet, I mean, I think pretty much everybody saw it at this point, but it is well worth a look. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that there are a solid number of horror movies on a lot of people's top tens this year. And I love to see that. So it's good to get that genre fair in there. Yeah, I, I actually have a few genre movies on my list this year, which is great. All right. Kevin, what's your number eight? Hey, you were talking about absurdist humor. So I have Keep an Eye Out by Quentin Dupio, which I, I'm kind of, this is, I was in the same kind of uh, issue I was having that Ken spoke about earlier, where I just kept tweaking. And I feel like this should be higher, but I had to stop. But this movie is just like pretty much perfect for me. I was kind of rewatching some of it the other day. And it's just the humor in there is just right in my wheelhouse. 
so ridiculous the back and forth yeah this is another one that i feel like not a lot of people talked about i'm not even sure a lot of people are aware that this movie exists to be honest yeah. and, <laughs> and in, in terms of like years ago dupio was kind of a thing it seemed like but to me it seems like he's kind of dropped off no one's really talking about him as much but i feel like he's he's at the height of his game right now i think he's making the best movies that he's that he's made yeah, I mean, he started getting a little bit of buzz with Wrong because that was, you know, an English language film. So he started getting a little bit more buzz here in the States. And I think that, that was a Draft House Films release. So that had a little bit of clout behind it. And then and then he started making you know, French films again. Yeah, which is, uh, he's really been thriving because reality was really great. Yeah, reality yeah, was keep an really eye out. Keep an eye out to me is like the, his pinnacle. So I'm, I'm really excited for the next one. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Ridiculous. I would agree. I really loved Wrong, but I think Keep an Eye Out is his best. It's just, I mean, it's so it's just lean and damn near perfect. It's wildly funny, too. Yes, extremely funny and really stupid at times, which I, you know, I kind of miss just that really fucking dumb humor. Like when he, eats, when he eats the oyster, I don't know why. It's such a stupid gag, but oh, it gets me every time. It's really funny, Ken. If you want to see somebody eating an oyster with the, like the shell and everything, <laughs> when have I ever wanted anything else? <laughs> you should definitely check out. Keep an eye out because the dude just straight up eats the oyster shell and all. I am delighted. <laughs> kind of reminds me of uh like the like a, a vine or something i saw once of um i guess this is a thing i don't know maybe it was just the one vine but it was like uh these two people uh this one person come pulling to drive through another person's filming and they order like uh, a soft serve ice cream cone and when the uh oh, yeah. the guy at the counter hands over uh, she just like flips it over grabs the ice cream and just bites out the cone and speeds off i've seen that i saw that vine actually yeah i like the chaos of uh of, of this of that kind of food related humor <laughs> as much as i like the food related puns of like, the secret trend of 2019 <laughs> is food related comedy filmmakers if you're listening to get you know on ken's good side food stuff mm-hmm. food I, humor food puns it's mm-hmm. an it's an easy laugh right it's an yeah. easy joke that you can put in your movie just have somebody eat something wrong mm-hmm. and it's instantly <laughs> funny like Put a put a banana in your movie and have somebody eat the banana by like banana. holding it holding it horizontally and just taking a bite out of it. <laughs> I, think it's, it. I think it's fucking Coral McCobb or something. <laughs> yeah. Just do that. Put that in your movie and it will instantly gain laughs. I mean, we're laughing about it. Just just the concept <laughs> of eating a banana like that. It's hilarious. Oh God. Uh, my number eight is pretty much the polar opposite of what we just talked about, and that's an elephant sitting still. From oh, you told Kubo. me about this. Yeah, yeah, I just recently. Yeah, I just watched this yesterday, and because it's so fresh, I was like not really sure if it was going to crack the top ten or not. But I've just been ruminating on this movie just nonstop. I just can't stop. I can't get it out of my head. It's just such a powerful film. And yes, it is four hours long. Let's just get that out of the way. It is a long movie, very long, but it is totally worth it. If you can stick with it, I didn't watch it all in one sitting. Actually, I, I 
broke it into two sections. So I watched two hours, then took a break, and then watched the other two hours uh, a little bit later yesterday. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that the way that it's set up. So there's it follows four four characters, and it's like a day in their lives. So it, it takes over it takes place over the course of one day, and you know there's there's scene breaks. So during that transition from one character to another, I just hit the pause on that and came back to it later. It is really intensely depressing. It's maybe one of the oh, bleakest, we love that. Maybe one of the bleakest films I've ever seen in my life. If you're familiar with uh, Hubo, he was a student of Bellatar. So if you've ever seen any of Bellatar's films, you have an idea of what to expect from this. Although I actually, I've only seen The Turn Horse. That's the only Bellatar film I've seen, I believe. But this to me was way, way, way better than that. I was not a big fan of The Turn Horse other than the, the visuals. This movie has incredible visuals it's pretty much all just super long steady cam shots and it's it's a beautiful film but it's also insanely sad like just it just bombards you for four hours with pure melancholy it's it's yeah didn't didn't the director of this commit suicide before it was even released mm-hmm. he did yeah, yeah. so after so you kind of an idea yeah he was only 29, too. Yeah. It's really, really sad. This is his first feature as well. So th- the whole time I'm watching it, I mean, it's impossible not to think about that as you're watching it, uh, because this is a this is a film that deals with sadness and just in, in the one of the early scenes, you have a, a guy who commits suicide in one of the early scenes in the film. And so it's impossible mm-hmm. not to think about that as you're watching it. The fact that he he did kill himself after finishing this, there were apparently I don't know if there's any if it was proven, but there were a lot of arguments with the uh, producers to cut down the runtime. They wanted to cut it in half, actually, and he didn't want that. And it, I guess, drove him to uh, take his own life, unfortunately. But w- the saddest thing about all of it is just the movie is so good that I can't help but wonder like what kind of incredible things he would have made if he kept, you know, if he yeah. didn't take his own life. Sure. It's, it's so good. I mean, I, I understand that the runtime is going to be, is going to prevent a lot of people from seeing this, but I really wish it, it didn't because it's, it's just so incredible. So that's my uh, number eight an elephant sitting still. Don't be afraid Ten. to watch long movies, folks. I, mean, I say that more to myself than anything else, but yeah, I, long movies are they're tough. I mean, like a lot of people I know, hey, Kevin, this is like a huge thing for you is runtimes in movies. Yeah, and and this is a movie that I will watch though because I've heard enough good things. But there was there was one just recently, Lafour mm-hmm. got, got bored over the Chris. Long. Yeah, fourteen hours long. Got put out by uh, Grasshopper Films that you could you could stream it and for a split second i was like oh yeah that's what i'm doing on my break i have all for two weeks so i'm gonna watch the floor but then i'm like thinking about the hours and i'm just like that's several days that i just lose to a movie like i'm sorry i value my time i got too much shit to do can't do it. i can't do it well so with, 
I've come to the realization that I'm never watching LaFleur. Well, never, uh, Ken, never happened. Ken and I were actually just discussing LaFleur last night, and I believe Not that... Not that either of us have seen it, but... No, no, neither of us have seen it. But I believe that that one was actually shot in... it in episodes so it's more episodic i think it's yeah. broken up into six episodes I, I, I can't imagine it existing in any other way i can't imagine someone making like a continuous like non-episodic 14-hour narrative but well it's just it's funny how like people will sit down and they'll binge an entire season of you know yeah. netflix show mm-hmm over one day but then a three four hour movie comes out and they're just like nope not mm-hmm. gonna and i'm not i'm not saying that you you were that way kevin or anything but no because i've we've already discussed i can watch like one episode and that's it i'm done watch it's one just episode in a sitting i, I find it, it's just like the pacing's usually different you know what i mean i do I think that plays a big big part of it because usually a lot of these films that are that long they're almost always slow cinema type deals and they're usually very bleak and very depressing well an elephant sitting still is <laughs> definitely that it is the bleakest ken what do you have for number seven well i'm just gonna keep our uh, uh well we're just gonna go a little bit more emotionally light here a little bit fluffier a little bit happier uh my number seven is noah bombach's marriage story <laughs> oh man <laughs> This didn't quite make my list, but it, it's it's up there. I have it as number fifteen on my bigger he, list. He threw out Fluffy, and I thought, is he going to say cats? <laughs> oh no! I should have said cats. <laughs> my number seven is Tom Hooper's Cats, <laughs> but I haven't seen it. So my number seven is the first trailer for Tom Hooper's Cats. Nice. All right. that all that talk about cats, and you haven't seen cats. Well, I wasn't going to pay to see it. <laughs> I when I talked about yeah, cats, I, I thought they were going to send like a screener, but then that wasn't finished in time, so they weren't sending one. I'm like, am I going to pay to see this? It wasn't I even thought... finished by the time it hit theaters. No, <laughs> yeah. they had to. I thought I thought they were going to do like the YouTube thing, and it would just all end up on our like our streaming devices. Yeah, once we were forced, like you couldn't. It was like an update. Like you couldn't do anything else until you watched Cats. Yeah, no, it wasn't that they put it on there. It's that there was nothing else on there. Like one day you were going to turn on like Netflix, and every title was going to be Cats. (laughs) Just Cats. And then you go to Hulu, and every title on Hulu was Cats. That would be a good April Fool's joke for one of those streaming services (laughs) to like change all the thumbnails to the Cats. Everything is Cats. Just Cats. I want to get back to cats in a second, but first I want to talk about marriage story. Why was this on your list? It is a very heavy film, but it's also just one of like this incredible perceptive, like, like sense of humanity and like tracking these characters in just such like painfully human ways. Like it's just, for all that's been uh, said about it, since it is like a high profile Netflix release and so many people have gotten a chance to see it. I think the thing that really does stay with a lot of people is just how like humane it remains even through all that happens. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I was really surprised with this. I talked about it a few weeks back when I saw it and I didn't, I went into it not expecting much at all. I pretty much went into it just, looking for the performances just for year-end purposes and awards purposes. And I came out of it really kind of impressed with the story overall. I didn't think I was going to like it, but I ended up really liking it a lot. And Kevin, I think that 
Mm, actually, no, I don't think you would like it. Kevin. <laughs> I'm not sure this would be one for you, but no, I don't think so. I just, I'm not a Bombach. Just he doesn't work for me. He's really hit or miss, and it's just yeah, yeah. Other stuff. One other concern stuff. that I had is that I've always kind of felt a degree of like detachment from a lot of other Bombach movies, but this one, like, you kind of go in, you're thinking about what it's about, and you feel like there's going to be something sort of distant about it, but it is just so connective, and I keep coming back to that word, humane, and just, uh, that's what really moved me about it. Yeah, I had a couple nitpicks with it, but I, I thought that some of the things that happened at the end were really lame, and <laughs> I was not into that, which unfortunately kind of sullied the whole thing for me, but overall, I think it was pretty great. Uh, I want to get back to Cats and, and talk about the... <laughs> <laughs> This guy's like, let's put in the top tens on hold. Fuck that. Let's talk about cats. Well, we're talking about trends, right? We wanted we wanted to talk about some of the big things that happened in the world of cinema this year. And I think one of the, I think it's really important to talk about what they did with cats and how they changed it. Is this perhaps a new trend? I think it. I think it could be not specifically cats, but what they did, where they actually sent a new version of the movie out. Uh, well, and it, the the insane thing is they had to, like, what they put into theaters is just it blows my mind that it was like this is allowed now. Finished. Yes, like this is this is okay practice now to just rush something, not have it finished, just throw it into theaters, fix it later. It's it's and everyone's just kind of treating it like at first it was like oh wow this is ridiculous, but now it's like. It's just, it's normal. It's just going to be standard practice from here on out. I bet that's you. What I, I just what, have a feeling. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm I'm a big video game player. I'm, I'm huge into video games. And this is something that they started doing with video games uh, several years ago where, you know, most people get their video games digitally now and they can release a video game in an unfinished form. There've been multiple high profile AAA video games that have been released that haven't been finished. Like they're just not done yet. And they add the content later through, you know, updates and patches. And I always find it interesting to look at the sort of symbiotic relationship between video games and movies and how those two influence each other. And I'm like, really concerned that this sets a very dangerous precedent for high profile movies being released in theaters in an unfinished state and then later updating them to you know I mean, we've seen it before with you know the lucas what george lucas did with the star wars movies but i think that this is even an even more sort of insidious thing to do where you're changing a movie like if i go see a movie i would say 99% of the movies that I see that I pay to go see in the theater, I will see are usually finished. <laughs> usually, you would hope they are usually finished, but it, I'll go see them opening weekend. So if there's if they're going to start doing this, I, I will always see the bad version. <laughs> like every every movie I see will be the unfinished one with Judy Dench's hands. And <laughs> yeah, that, and that's the other thing. It's like it wasn't, you know, like small stuff that you know people were able to pick out like it was the main thing of these are human people you're supposed to cover them up with fur because they're supposed to be cats because the name of the movie is cats like that's yeah the i want to see cats but there the were no cats 
It's like, why are there human hands? You would think at least someone, the quality control, somebody watched the whole thing and was like, okay, here's well, all the hands. Let's cover those up before if, we send it If I remember correctly, the... I believe Tom Hooper said at the premiere of Cats that he had been working on that they've been working on this cut for about like the last thirty six hours and it just finished it that day. Mm-hmm. So I now want like I wish there were well, there, there could have been a documentary just about that final thirty six hours of putting the fu- of like having to lock the final cut of Cats even though it's not done. We'll never see that. No, well, it's just it's crazy to me too that a studio can do that. Throw it in the theaters. Theaters will show it. People will pay for it, and even if you know, like a handful of people are like, "What the fuck? That, that maybe it was not finished." Like I see human hands everywhere. <laughs> Why? And it's just like, ah, nothing we can do. This that's the movie. The yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it's really a difficult moment for digital fur technology. I, I think. <laughs> I mean, what do you what What is your take? Do you think it's best to just leave it, like in a situation like that? In a I think it, just go back into you know. Standard operating procedure used to be you finish a film, then you set up a date for it to come out. Just do that. Just wait until the movie's done. You have the movie, set up a release date, and then put it into theaters. Don't say, this is the release date. Okay, movie's not done. Well, well, we can't move the release date. Put it <laughs> Sometimes, with, especially with like the franchise titles, it's, this is a release date. Now let's hire a director and hire a screenwriter. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's insane to me. But let's let's say hypothetically this happens again. A movie gets released and there's something about it that's not finished. There's like a major error in it. Do you think it's best to just leave it as is or do you think it's best to go with the cat's route and fix it and then re like swap it out while it's still in theaters? I have a feeling that this is going to only happen with movies that are absolute shit to begin with. <laughs> you know, I mean cats was shit from the outset. Before anyone even started filming anything, when it was in the concept phase, it's fucking cat. (laughs) I mean, this is about the 355th time I've said this, but what was the impetus to turn this into a movie? Yeah, I mean, it was it was doomed from the start, right? Like nobody even likes cats. Is there anybody that likes cats? The play? No, no, I don't think so. Cats is like cats is kind of just exists culturally as this completely bizarre idea, like this weird like moment at the start of the reign of like the Andrew Weber like eighties mega musical, and no one knows exactly what it is. No one has ever known exactly what it is. I don't think anyone really likes it, and like that's been the whole thing. If you heard about that musical, it's just about a bunch of cats, and I think I think it's one of those. It's like it was a curiosity thing. And then someone mistook that as like people really love this. It's really popular. Like no, it's not. It's just people are like, you know, you, someone explained cats to someone, and they're like, well, I have to see that. Sounds fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so, so what your what your hypothesis is is the way it, the play version was the, pretty much the same as the movie version, where people just went because they had heard such horrible things, and they're like, well, I people see lo- this yeah, myself. people love people love fucking train wrecks. I mean. Pet rock was a fucking thing. Like it there's was. tons of shit that's just stupid as fuck, and people, you know, go see it or experience it. I guess that's the why. I guess that's why the room played in theaters for like yeah, and people however, mistake like, it how many like, years it was in theaters. People mistake it as like, oh, these people are really enjoying it. It's really popular. Well, I, yeah. I, 
what i mean i don't know how much money that movie made i don't know what the i think it was a flop right I, well, think... yeah let's check the bo- the cat's box office figures okay I, I as of as of uh the morning of december 30th it has grossed a grand total of 38.4 million dollars off a budget that is estimated to be somewhere around 100 million and that cuz what what's the budget though is the budget the first attempt at making this movie or are you somewhere around a hundred million before marketing did it did the patch go into was that taking an account into the budgeting yeah i mean because so i would assume no that the budget was and and before that pre-patch yeah and the thing that bothers me about something like this and like the sonic movie is like you have people in charge at the top pretty much like any other corporation or any entity that are just mediocre as all hell and fucking wholly incompetent. And then you have these people that actually have to do the work, which I'm sure the effects people were like, Hey, cats isn't done. Like we're not going to be done in time. And they're just like, like, yes, it is. And then they, you know, they release it and everyone's complaining about it. And they probably go back to those FX people and they're like, what the fuck? And they're like, yeah, we told you like three months ago. And, you know, now they have to work overtime to try and crank this shit out. Like, it's just, it's pathetic. It's so sad. Like, this seems like just a complete systemic failure at every level. Just at, not only just the final film, just at every level of, like, getting this thing made. And the thing that angers me even more is, I bet you any money, the people in charge of Cats that made all these terrible decisions, they're going to fail upwards. And I'm sure that majority of them got promoted or they're getting, you know, another huge blockbuster to oversee. Yeah, they, that's, that's the way it works. works. Yeah, that's how it works. They're, uh, well, I guess we have to figure out what other hellish uh, theatrical disasters they will green light for film adaptations now. Yeah, I'm also curious to see if this is going to happen again, when this happens again. Oh, it will. too. Cats too. <laughs> More cats. I, I, one final observation on cats. Uh, <laughs> this is it. This is it. It's the last one. I want to talk a very. I want to touch very briefly on Universal. A just completely surrendering the idea that it was going to be competitive for any awards. Then B get it. The, one of the the original song from it getting a Golden Globe nomination, and then C Universal pulling the movie from its four-year consideration website, just a website that just lists movies from a studio, and they, it was just such a disaster, they just pretended for the sake of awards consideration that the movie didn't exist that year. <laughs> they are removing... They, they knew. They're, they're knew trying to remove bad. cats from existence. They knew it was going to be bad, and they were like, okay, well, we sunk $100 million into this. We need to just try to Before get it Before marketing. Out. Before marketing, so... We we could estimate two hundred million easily for this. And remember when, remember when they said when there was that rumor going around that it cost three hundred million dollars? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny to like compare that to something like nineteen seventeen, which had a one hundred million dollar budget, and just I mean, again, I haven't seen Cats, but just judging from the trailers, it looks. Like visually, it looks atrocious and digital fur technology. Comparing that to something like 1917, which had a similar budget that looks 
so incredible and it's like okay i can see that this would cost 100 million dollars to make Ugh. anyway uh kevin what's your number seven uh i have a a a netflix movie as well uh that's atlantics by maddie diop and this is uh we i mean we talked about this i think last week or the week before whatever the last podcast was but again this is wild to me that i can see a maddie diop movie pop up on my netflix when i start up my roku it's uh, a nice balance of sadness and like hope. There's an undercurrent of hope in this movie of being this ghost romance love story type thing. And I said it before and I'll say it again, like in the hands of anyone else, this movie is silly, but it works so well here in the way that she handles everything of, you know, spirits possessing people and coming back and just the love story built around that is if you haven't seen it, Atlantics, it's right there on Netflix. Watch it. Yeah, I was able to to squeeze this in for yeah, the end of the year. Sorry. And uh, I, I liked I liked how they represented the the ghosts with the con the contacts and stuff. I thought yeah. that it, it wasn't I didn't think that it came off as being silly, but I completely agree with you that in the hands of a lot of other directors Tom it, Hooper. It, in the hands of Tom yes. Hooper, it wouldn't digital have ghost technology. Yeah. They would have been like, you know, translucent people with sheets over their their heads, but they they wouldn't have like finished it. So like there'd be one guy in a hoodie standing in the background. It's just it, there's and there's this this to me there's this you know like I said it, it there's a sadness but there's hope and there's also an eeriness mixed with the the sereneness of the entire film like cutting in all the the shots of the ocean. And just like the lighting in general in this movie, just I was very taken with it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a solid, solid watch. I would I could uh, easily recommend Atlantic's. I have a Netflix movie as my number seven as well, and that's The Irishman. I really this is one that, that shifted around on my list a lot for a while. It wasn't on the list, and then it made it, and it, it was just I wasn't sure how to place this. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that uh, I, I really love this movie and. I like the idea of rounding up this this cast and and going back to the gangster movie and I th- I think that the big benefit of this movie is that it was on Netflix and it allowed Scorsese to just kind of do his own thing like just have full creative control over it it is a long movie and it's uh, a really great rumination on the gangster film and uh, I, I really appreciated it. Really great performances. I love to see Joe Pesci come back. It, it, it's it's a solid watch, The Irishman. Uh, absolutely. And that's number six on my list. Nice. Uh, Good transition. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I just uh, completely echo everything you said. I just love the idea of Scorsese examining this genre that uh, so many of his films have been a part of just at different points in his career and just life as an artist and kind of thinking back on not only examining these characters in this film, the sprawling world of this film, but just kind of in a way what this sort of staple of popular culture kind of means uh, and affects society as a whole and being able to do so through this story that feels so just stunningly realized in, in its own way. Yeah, it's it's great. I think it's really great how it's it's almost like a very self-reflective movie considering mm-hmm. that he, you know, 
Scorsese got big with the gangster movie, you know, and the fact that he is sort of making this this movie with this largely the same cast that he's used in the past and taking the the story that the true story and sort of using that to not only tell a really great gripping crime drama but also tell it in in such a a self-reflective way uh kevin what's your number six another netflix movie seems like we've we've hit the netflix patch here which i guess could be considered a trend for this year Netflix actually putting out some solid movies. Yeah. <laughs> Netflix. Is it good? That's usually what we say with, you know, when me and Adam are doing the podcast and, you know, we watch a Netflix movie or we're covering a Netflix movie. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's always it's, a discussion. Netflix is always a discussion. It, they've always been this, this like aggressively okay movies that exist and take up space and are technically movies. But well, that's not entirely no fair because uh, some of them were, are, were also terrible. Yes, there's also that. But those usually don't make it to the front page of Netflix's menu. Oh, sometimes and they do. That's true. Uh, I believe we mentioned this. Well, I have to imagine uh, that we did just the massive quality variance of Netflix and how and this has just been like a pet peeve of mine, how Netflix uh, historically has just like become like obsessively promoting become something that just obsessively promotes the only one thing that they judge to be most popular at a given time which can sometimes mean that if something completely terrible becomes popular at a given time it will promote that to death yeah and i still have uh horrible horrible flashbacks to 2018's the kissing booth <laughs> kissing booth i don't know why i saw it i don't know why i finished it but i did i want to i want to touch on the netflix thing Again, but Kevin, what's your number six first? And this is, and I mean, it makes sense, but this also kind of speaks to what Ken was talking about. My number six is The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open, uh, directed by Kathleen Hepburn and L. Meje uh, Tailfeathers. And Atlantics and The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open kind of came out at the same time as Irishman and Marriage Story. And if you're on Twitter... I mean, Marriage Story and The Irishman, Jesus Christ, that fucking dominated. That's all anyone ever talked about. And it was just, it's kind of depressing on my end because it, for me, you have these two movies that are phenomenal. Not to take anything away from Irishman or Marriage Story, but you have equally phenomenal movies that just get buried. Kind of like what Ken talked about is if a movie comes out and it becomes somewhat popular... That's all Netflix will devote all of their time and energy to is that one title. And they'll just completely ignore things that they bought for yeah. their platform to put I, out. They're just like, no, it doesn't exist. Fuck that movie. I, I 100% agree with you. It should be noted that those that those two movies are not Netflix originals. True. Yeah, they, but so there's a difference there. They, they're not Netflix originals, but I think that they were like, there was some sort of deal there where they were released exclusively on Netflix, I think. I'm pretty sure. Because, I mean, that, that was how they were released. I don't, I don't think that they got released. I don't know if there was like a theatrical release for those. Like all of the PR emails and stuff I got for those movies were, were saying Netflix. Like this is, is going to be released on Netflix. So, Netflix presents a Netflix production, a Netflix original. Well, I know that uh, the body remembers was a uh, that was an array 
yes release was atlantix also uh, an array release i don't think so i don't i don't think it was but i know that um ava duvernay's array i think that they have some kind of deal with netflix where their their movies are going to be put out on netflix but i completely agree with you that yes this has been a problem for netflix for a long time when when you look at their upcoming releases and they have like oh in 2020 we have a thousand releases coming out we have a thousand netflix originals like we will tell you about five of them yeah i mean things are bound to get buried it happens every year where netflix will release a movie from like like she and sono and be like what netflix made a she and sono movie what what's going on here like i wasn't even aware of this and it just suddenly drops and I think it's uh, it's a shame that, that that their marketing is so all over the place. I mean, especially because they're so proud of their algorithm, right? That that get that supposedly shows you what yeah. you're going to be interested in, which is complete trash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because 100%. every time I open the Netflix app, it's showing me six underground. Like I want to see that. Come on. Yeah. Well, and the fact that it shows you nothing but. I completely Netflix forgot about Six Underground. <laughs> yeah, Michael Bay. Michael Bay. Michael Bay made a movie for Netflix, starring Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, uh, and I think there's something to be said just about how when you're just putting up so much, no matter even if they were genuinely trying to promote everything, stuff would fall through the cracks. Uh, it was an observation that was made by the director of a movie that's very high up on my list. In fact, is my number one. So I can't exactly say who said this, but they were saying that if their movie had been put on netflix as opposed to the distributor that theatrically released it they all had no doubt in their mind it would just been completely buried on the platform i think that that's one major thing that netflix needs to get they need to get their shit together on that because it's i think it's just it's a shame what's happening i mean netflix is a great platform it is in most american households at this point and it's it's a great way to get great movies out there but if nobody knows about them, how are they going to get seen, you know? And I can't imagine how it would be for just the general movie-watching public when I miss movies that come out on Netflix and I look at, like, the release calendar and stuff on Netflix. Like, I try to keep up with what's yeah, coming and out. You, you know, you're getting emails. Mm-hmm. Right. Some. And sometimes, <laughs> yeah, sometimes they don't even tell you. <laughs> they don't even email about the movies that they're putting out. Which, which you know, is, because which emails is really are so crazy. expensive to send. The, yeah, I mean, that's the craziest thing is like sometimes I don't even get an email about a new movie coming out on Netflix. Sometimes they don't even email me about it, which is even crazier. All right. My number six is not a Netflix movie. Uh, it, is, it is Midsummer by Ari Aster. I really loved Hereditary. I was really excited for Midsummer, and uh, I was not let down. I thought it was fantastic. It's insanely creepy it's funny there's there's a lot of humor in it and i haven't seen the director's cut yet i really want to see the director's cut and and experience that i wasn't quite as impressed by midsummer as uh most other people have i mean i really loved uh hereditary but uh, there's just something uh, a little bit uh more detached with that for me about uh trying to uh connect with what Arias was doing although he's definitely just a great he's definitely great at like just mood and energy and tone and of course uh Florence Pugh is uh, fantastic in it yeah and I know Kevin you weren't as high on this one 
either as I was, but to me it's it's as a as a horror lover, I uh really appreciated this movie. Ken, what do you got for number five? Top five. At number five, I have Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir. The Souvenir. Okay. Oh, that's one I didn't get to watch. I didn't see this either, actually. It's it's uh it's about a uh, kind of uh, young uh, film student who sort of talks about how she's living in a, a bubble in her whole life, she's kind of this comfortable socioeconomic bubble. Uh, she wants to kind of tell more stories about different people and different perspectives in the world around her. And at the same time, she's also in this relationship with this older, slightly older man is a civil servant and it's found, uh, and he's a, a drug addict and it just, uh, and this, the relationship is, uh, horribly toxic and unhealthy and yet and through this joanna hogg who i believe is telling the story somewhat autobiographically it's based on something that actually did happen to her when she was young she never strays away from just like the impact of this very unhealthy relationship this very toxic relationship but it's also this this really great meditation on just kind of the act of remembering just the way that we are changed and shaped in better or worse and good and bad ways by the events and the people in our past. Yeah, it's a lot, but it's also, uh, I think, very, very cohesive and impactful. And that's a souvenir. I, yeah, I wanted to see this, but I just couldn't couldn't squeeze it in, unfortunately. Kevin, what's your number five? And then my number five is August at Akikos. Okay. By I, Christopher Makoto Yogi. I was able to squeeze this one in. I enjoyed it. How did you get that in there? I did. Yeah. Look at you. You know what, Kevin? When you when you say that a movie's really great, I watch it. I'm like, you know That's what? Nice. Kevin said it's great. I'm gonna I'm gonna take time out of my day to watch this Kevin recommendation. Nice. Did you like it? I did like it. Yeah. Good. Because I would great. I would I'd be hurt if you didn't. You know. You gave it a four out of five. Gave it a four out of five on Letterboxd. Four out of five. It's my number five. Number five film of the year. Why did Slap you like this? You, you, uh, talked, you just, actually talked about this a couple weeks ago, but yeah, I, I think this might have been on the last podcast. This is part of the the year end crunch, just filling in everything. Uh, just the the overall tone of this movie, where you have uh, Alex Jang Hung Tai, who's a like a kind of experimental jazz musician, sax player, like me and Adam. Yeah. I like. Uh, I still consider us sax players. Yeah, um, I, I do too. <laughs> once a sax player, always a sax. Player. I think so. Uh, him going back to Hawaii and kind of getting in touch with his roots, not not being there, and kind of reconnecting and kind of going through this uh, transformation by staying at this Buddhist bre- uh, bed breakfast run by Kiko. And she kind of helps him like get in touch with his culture and where he comes from and just everything that he goes through and just the overall atmosphere of the movie, the visuals of the movie, a lot of superimposing images on on top of each other, just the music, uh, you know, Huntai's sax playing throughout. I just, thought he was. Like, I thought he was terrible at the saxophone. I thought he was good at the. I mean, it's. It's a, I forget what the term's for it. A lot of saxophone discourse. Yeah. It's it's like this like freeform, freeform jazz style. Got that, you know, speaking to his, his inner, inner turmoil going on there. But just the, I don't know, the the overall, the feeling 
the the mood that it put me in for you know an hour and 15 minutes it's just very calming and relaxing. yeah yeah very it's a very soothing movie there's a lot of yeah i mean it, it's it's a beautiful film i think it's hard to make an ugly film considering where they were yeah shooting you'd have to you'd have to go out of your way yeah it, it's pretty gorgeous the the locale but yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it as well. I didn't like the superimposing stuff either. Actually, I wasn't a big fan of that. Well, you know, it's fine. Didn't bring it down too just, much. Yeah. Me. Okay. Let's just leave it at that. You watched it. You liked it. I'm happy. If I can get one person to watch it, which success already happened. Oh yeah, I, I could recommend it easily. I love the like docufiction style. Yes. Docufiction just... always works for me for some reason. Yeah, big time. Uh, my number five is Uncut Gems by the Safty Brothers. Big fan of this one. We talked about this last episode, so I won't get into it too much. But I thought performances across the board were fantastic. I love, I love the Safty Brothers style. Their sort of hyper realism that that they have and how that how they shoot gritty New York grime. Just I love it. Completely horrifying style, and I mean that in a good way. Yeah, it's it's very very dirty. Their their stuff seems very dirty, gritty. It, it just it. and just so just unsettling, I, which is kind of the point of a lot of their films. Just that uh, sense of anxious disorientation. Yeah, a big big time with this this movie too. This this movie is very unnerving. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's great. It's great. Loved it. Uh, number four, Ken. What do you got? Uh, at number four, I have Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Really? Wow. Yes. Yes. I, uh, I, I was able to squeeze this in, but uh, tell, me, tell me why it's uh, so high up on your list. The cinematography is great. It's, uh, it's just uh, gorgeously shot uh, with all these, with just this, not limited, but just very specific color palette and how these, and how everything just seems, uh, how everything, all the, bright locations seem so bright and all the dark locations seem so dark anyway i love the cinematography and just this idea of how it's very much about and i think this is another uh motif that a lot of films this year have in some way or another just about this idea of trying to remember something and what's interesting here is that it's not about the act of memory as just you know these two characters knowing that they only have this limited amount of time together in this one specific scenario that's just completely limited by not only society but just like the actual circumstances of their meeting that it has to be so inextricably temporary and just trying to go through this entire time as just an act of trying to commit to memory what is then recalled in the frame in these almost a framing device but sort of that is this movie uh like the last couple scenes which are, I think, were fantastic. Uh, absolutely, drive that point home by almost shifting the entire perspective through which you think about the movie and how it plays with like time and placement and just like the ability to just recall something and remember things. I don't know. It, it's like it's something <laughs> I'm still working through in a lot of ways. <laughs> this is the same cinematographer, by the way, as Atlantic's Claire Mathon. Great, great. Great cinematographer. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, that that was definitely a gorgeous yeah, movie for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's about how you remember a uh, portrait of a lady on fire. It's a movie about how you remember things. You know how you remember things, like something happened to you in the past, and then you remember it later. It's about that. Let's remember things, but let's not have a memory. Let's not use the word memory because that'll remind us of the song from Cats. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> Kevin, what's your number four? Uh, my number four is Black Mother by Kalikala, which uh, this uh, documentary uh, of Jamaica kind of shot through his style of these phenomenal images and interviewing pretty much anyone and everyone, it seems like, in Jamaica across, you know, all different backgrounds to kind of create this picture of Jamaica, you know, through the people that live there. And just his whole style in general, I just absolutely love. I mean, and just the way that he, he breaks it up between, you know, the audio not matching the video and it kind of keeping you on your toes in both ways. There's no reason to ever look away because, it, I mean, it's pretty much always something gorgeous on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then just you know, it's just you seem like you're there, like you a full picture of a place. Yes, the real Jamaica, not yeah, you know, the, the American style resorts that one might go and to. The, and the fact that, like, like I said, he he speaks to everyone, and everyone is afforded the same time and the same platform, and like I truly believe. And I get the sense that he treats every single person the same, like as an equal. It's it's uh, pretty solid. If you're into like experimental documentaries, this is this is certainly one to check out. We actually reviewed this on an episode in the past. I can't remember when that was a long time ago. That was a while back. It was a while back. Uh, my number four is One Cut of the Dead by uh, Shinichiro Ueda. This is one that I had zero expectations going into it. The marketing was pretty piss poor in the in the US at least and the poster is not good, but don't let that fool you cuz there's a lot going on underneath the surface of this of this movie. You you think you have an idea of what it's going to be going into it. It's like Oh, it's about a film crew making a zombie movie, but then actual zombies attack them. But it's so much more than that. Uh, I think that this is a movie that's best best served completely cold. You like go into it not knowing anything at all about it, and the the turns that it takes and the the style of it, the the technical aspect of it is just superb. I completely loved this movie from start to finish. That so much fun it's probably one of the best zombie comedies ever made i mean it's like right underneath Shaun of the dead for me highly recommend one cut of the dead where uh where could because this looks great where can i see this it's on shutter i think okay i'm pretty sure shutter picked it up uh it's like a shutter exclusive so you can give it a look on there i think you'll you'll really enjoy it it's one that I saw it at a festival way earlier in the year, and uh, I just i I was worried that I was going to forget about it, but no, it it just it stayed. It started off high on the list, and it remained top three. Here we go, Ken. 
What do you got for number three? My number three is Homecoming. This is the uh, Beyonce concert documentary uh, that she uh, directed. Uh, it is uh, both a documentary about the creation of her uh, much acclaimed performance at Coachella in 2018, and also the uh, uh, a film of the performance itself. Uh, in both ways, it succeeds in just this uh, great context about like a prominent among the most you know prominent. Uh, artists in the world and how like that their particular uh, craft is shaped and it's also just in terms of the energy and exuberance and just the great feeling of it one of the best concert movies i've ever seen i only very recently realized that this is probably not technically eligible for awards or various like stricter definitions of lists because i only very recently realized that it never received a theatrical release However, as I say in my written top 10 list, if certain other publications uh, routinely include entire seasons of episodic television as movies, then I will include Homecoming on my top 10 of the 2019 list. I, I think it's... Well, think let, it's... Me, <laughs> let me just say that my, I mean, my whole top 50 and much of the movies that are in my top 10, they're no theatrical. Like, I wanted to make I mean, a Kahe du Cinema joke mainly. Because I th I think we're we're beyond that, yeah. especially for people like me, where I live. If I had to go by theatrical, Jesus, I don't even know if I would have a top. 10. You wouldn't have a top ten. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, I can kind of, I can definitely identify with that. I just mo mostly wanted to make a joke about Kahe du Cinema saying that like Twin Pe uh, Twin Peaks, the entire third season was the best movie of the decade. Ugh. I believe they also <laughs> said that the first season of 24 was the best movie of 2001. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think they did do that. I mean, that that one seems like a stretch to me. 24. <laughs> Which has many directors. Like, they were trying to be like, well, it's Twin Peaks, it's David Lynch, it's a singular vision. <laughs> it's like 24, an episodic network television series with a different director every episode. We yeah we were discussing this briefly the other day and I said if I were to include TV, I would include Chernobyl on my list because uh, Chernobyl is a, a it's a limited series on HBO and it feels very cinematic. It doesn't feel like a TV show at all. It just feels like a, yeah. a, a an yeah. extended movie. And I think that I think that these days the lines between episodic television and and film are very blurred very blurred oh yeah definitely yeah just uh just to be clear i will say that my position on that would be that like any major like release on a major streaming platform regardless of its theatrical status is you know basically counts the purpose of any list so right i, I mean I, yeah i don't i i go by with my lists i go by if it had a theatrical or vod release during the year but i do limit it to feature feature films i don't do short films mm. i think kevin you do short films in yeah, your hell yeah i do and i got I, some coming up i believe there's nothing wrong with that either i believe there was a critic who who's you know through the many decades of top 10 lists i did a very prolific uh, critic uh, would sometimes include baseball games on his top 10 list oh yeah he would yeah <laughs> who was that i can't remember is it Rob rosenbaum or or is it hoberman i think it's hoberman i think it's hoberman yeah yeah, because he would put like the World Series, like Game Three of the World Series or something. <laughs> yes, I kind of love that. Which I like. I'm not entirely against that, but at the same time, it's like 
no one needs to you don't need to boost the world series <laughs> you know what i mean like i don't know if you've heard of this one it's kind, a of a, it's kind of a small kind of off the <laughs> it's the it's the world series it's world series you should check it out at some point this is why marvel movies rarely i know i know last year black panther was like on my list but marvel movies rarely end up on my in my top lists even though i thought that avengers endgame that which came out earlier this year was really good they never end up on my top lists because I just don't feel like at this point, I feel like Marvel movies or maybe even superhero movies in general are like separate from other, from other movies. Like they, they don't don't need that. They don't need that boost. I'd like to include more cheerleaders. Then I'd like to also include on my top 10 list. uh, If we can just include uh, other things. What about that infomercial with like the thing where you cook that uh the egg inside like a magic heating tube and they talk about how it's vertical cooking technology i'm aware of that it looks it's yes. disgusting from the same uh from the people who brought you digital fur technology it's vertical cooking technology vertical cooking kevin have mercy where are we at where are we at number three three number three i have a short film and that's america by garrett bradley this is kind of a like an alternative history that she kind of constructed black and white it's kind of an omnibus movie uh little little vignettes of kind of tracking like the the history and the accomplishments of black cinema and this is now you you know we want to talk about like where it played this is festival scope has a, a free website they have their pro website which is for critics and stuff festival programmers and everything but they do have a free website that occasionally you know they'll pick like eight or nine films from a festival and kind of have like this little mini uh program and this plate is a part of that so if uh, you're you know a lot of these movies that you know get played up at festivals but they never make it to you know the general public keep an eye out on that free website because you'll find a good number of stuff on there yeah festival scope is i I feel like that's not a very widely known streaming platform but it's especially the and especially the the free website that anyone use like you don't have to be you know a professional film professional yeah the pro one i don't know if it's still invite only but the pro one was like invite only for a while I, i don't yeah I know you might have to have like some sort of industry credentials for the pro, the pro one. But uh, my number three is the last black man in San Francisco directed oh, yeah. by Joe Talbot feature debut for him. Love the performances from Jimmy fails and Jonathan majors in this. I love the score. This is one of the, I think this might be the only movie this year that I've actually listened to the soundtrack, like on my way to work and stuff. And I, I remember when you, you told me about this, like when that movie came out and when I watched it, I was like, I, I understand. I completely see. <laughs> I get it now. Yeah, this is this is definitely a movie that is right up my alley. It is. It's very heartfelt. It's it's sad, but it's also uplifting. It's uh, about a, a guy who wants to reclaim his childhood home and live there, even though somebody else lives there and they move out. He decides to just just move in, just move himself in but on on a larger level it's about gentrification and the changing 
culture in in San Francisco, how you know the they they're essentially pricing everyone out of the city, and there's a lot of really great things going on in this movie. I love the cinematography as well. I know I think it was like last episode you mentioned you didn't like the the slow mo stuff, but I loved the slow mo stuff in this. I thought it. I I I enjoyed some of it. I just I felt it was a too just much a touch. Yeah, a touch overused. Mm-hmm. I love the the scene when the camera was like the was it like a rock or something that like a kid threw and like the camera was from the POV of the like rock. I thought that was great. Anyway, uh, last black man in San Francisco, my number three. Ken, what's your number two movie of 2019? It is Parasite, which we've already discussed, but Parasite. Oh, yeah. It's Hell great. Yeah. Check it out. That's number 42 on my list. And dropping. Yeah. <laughs> With every minute, Parasite drops a few numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Soon it's going to be underneath that, uh, that Netflix Jeffrey Dahmer movie. <laughs> Oh man, the, oh, the, the did that come the, out this year? I think so. I, do, I, rem- it, I I remember people getting mad about that, but I thought that was years ago. But what was the the other one this year? Was that Bundy was this year, right? Oh, that no, that maybe that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, I think yeah, the one with Zach Efron. Yes, yeah, 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 that's the one I was talking about. God, that maybe is so fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's just her not answering the phone for yes. like 45 minutes. It's very bad. That movie's her drinking. Like, I mean, the drinking was relatable. <laughs> everything else is just garbage. Very bad. Ken, what's your number right. two? My number two is also a short film, also a part of uh, Festival Scope's free website. It's Altiplano, directed by Melina Slam. I talked about this in the very beginning of the year, but this is an experimental documentary of sorts, but not really. It's more of like a, a, a landscape movie, if you will. I've uh, heard just a lot of footage from the Andes, like in the salt flats and the deserts, the lakes, all that stuff. And just a lot of manipulation with the images uh, shot in 16 millimeter using in-camera editing, like a whole host of things. And the interesting thing to me was is how she takes this very natural place and kind of renders it to like this alien landscape it's just it's really phenomenal i thought a very interesting 16 minutes is that still on the festival scope free thing or is that no i think it's good yeah they're usually only on a limited time yeah that's what that's the they're usually on there for like a month i think they'll throw them up until another festival comes around Mm -hmm. got it my number two is knives out by ryan johnson I, I know that this uh, this is one that I, I really well, now, now I now I know you're number one. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> with with knives out, I hesitated in putting it this high on the list because uh, I thought that there were there were other movies that were like better movies, but yeah. I had so much fun with this movie in in the theater. I just I had a blast with it. I saw it twice, and that's something that I rarely do. I rarely rewatch movies. And I, I, I had to do it. I just had to put it at number two because I had such a great time with it. It is an incredible whodunit that has a, a really great ensemble cast. And uh, I thought Ryan Johnson just knocked it out of the park with this one. It is a fun movie. It certainly is. All right, Ken, here we go. Mm-hmm. What's your number one? 
My number one is Lulu Wong's The Farewell. Ooh. Yeah, this is that's surprising. It is a surprise. I was uh, after I saw Parasite, I was wondering if that would be like the new number one, just kind of looking at it. But I rewatched The Farewell this past weekend, and I feel pretty good about having it at number one. Uh, it's just it's just such a masterfully like precise and nuanced and just so, so like uh, engaging and warm and every other superlative I can think of examination of like family and cultural identity and grief and perspective and time and it's just it's just all there in this really thoughtful family drama with just uh, great performances and definitely just so wise and uh observant and yeah loved it i yeah i talked about this a couple weeks ago (laughs) on the podcast i i was uh, putting off watching this because i thought it was going to be so sad like i was i was nervous about watching it because yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't want to, yeah, I just can't find it comes the, off the, that way. It, it does. But then I, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to, I'm going to watch this. And it, it's not really, it's not that it's yeah. not it's as so, yeah, it, it's kind of sweet mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And uh, I, I was really surprised mm-hmm. with this one. So I, I can totally understand why this would be at the top of your list. Kevin, what's your number one? My number one is microhabitat. Ho, Jian Go Woon. This is a movie that I feel like I saw 12 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been, we saw this back when it played, uh, what was it, like the New York Asian Film Festival, I think? It was a festival. I don't know which one. Yeah, so it finally got released on Mubi. If you don't have Mubi and you're kind of uh, disappointed in Netflix offering, Mubi has been doing a pretty good job of putting out, you know, premieres and stuff. And this is one that they finally put out this year, which I was very excited for because I've pretty much been obsessed with this movie since we watched it back at that festival, like two years ago or whatever. But uh, I think this is just absolutely phenomenal. To me, it plays a lot like Parasite with uh, with capitalism and everything. But in in this instance, Isam, who plays the main character, it just she just stops being a part of capitalism. She embraces. Just it. Yeah, she, she just she works enough to buy whiskey and cigarettes and that's it she's homeless she decides to just be homeless and she just does enough that she can go to a nice whiskey bar get herself a glass and smoke her cigarettes and that's it yeah it's a pretty incredible movie i would highly recommend checking out microhabitat i really like that one a lot as well obviously my number one is parasite it's a movie that i think is Endlessly rewatchable. I just want to, if I'm not watching Parasite right now, I'd, I want to be watching Parasite <laughs> right now. I thought that every everything about it was near perfect. Like just from the performances to the location. I love that, that house. Oh, that house is just so amazing. You just want that damn house. <laughs> and and I went into I went into it knowing v- very little. And uh, the 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 surprises that occur, I sort of floored me, and I think it's just a tremendous movie. And it was e- easily my number one. I mean, as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh, that's my number one," and it just stayed there. I, I mean, as soon as as soon as that movie was announced, I was like, "Whatever year that comes out, that it's going to be Adam's number one." <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a big Bong Joon Ho. I know. I know. You know I, I was thinking about this because I was writing out, I was doing my written uh, top 10 list and 
I realized that Memories of Murder came out in 2003. That was the first movie that that you and I saw from Bong Joon-ho. And that was, that was a long time ago. Like, yeah, I've been a Bong Joon-ho fan for a really long time. But another thing for him is for you specifically to be that big of a fan of his. He's, and I'm a pretty big fan too, is he's never really let you down. No. No, like just... the only movie for me was Snowpiercer was like, I was kind of okay to me, but he usually delivers. Like I get excited about a film from him and I'm not let down. Usually he almost always delivers. And I yeah. can't say that a lot about a lot of directors, even ones that I'm like a huge fan of. They usually re- let me down from time to time. I rewatched Snowpiercer recently and I, I think that I liked it even more the second go around with that one. It's, yeah, it's it's great. I think the I think I think the the source material of Snowpiercer is maybe what brings that down a little bit. Yeah, and I would like to point out, you know, we got our three tops here. We got Chinese family movie, and then two Korean movies. It was a great year for Asian cinema. Great year, and there's and and also there's a lot of movies that uh, Asian films that came out in festivals this year that didn't get theatrically released or on VOD that maybe they'll come out in 2020 that were really great also. So firing at all cylinders. I have a Korean movie, a Japanese movie and a Chinese movie, my top 10. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up for this year. Hell yeah. Yeah. How, how do you guys feel about the year in general? Was it a good, (laughs) good The year, I mean, the year, like movie cinema wise, cinema yeah. wise, yeah, was, cinema wise. Oh yeah, we all know, we all know good. what it was like in, in it the was rest fucking of the- garbage. <laughs> and the- I can't believe I'm still alive. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna make it through next. I year. feel like at least Jeez. we think that the year's over, so we could take a breather. No, at least five. Like, like, no, we're not gonna get, make it out the next two days of that other garbage things happening. Whether you know, locally or globally or whatever. Cinematically, how do you guys oh, feel about 2019? Yeah, I think it was a good, good year. Good year, and I'm, me personally, I'm getting very excited. Uh, the continuation of what my offerings are between Netflix, Mubi, the Festival Scope website. Like, I have an opportunity throughout the year to see a wide range of stuff, and a lot of times for free which is just fantastic to me. Yeah. I think that's, it's, it's incredible. I think things are. Cause like, you know, I've, I've heard some people that, you know, some critics and stuff that live in New York and whatnot. And they talk about all oh, your independent movie theaters. You have a chance to see stuff, but as Adam can attest to, I, I've sent him what my independent theater offers. And, what uh, does it offer? I don't <laughs> like Arctic dogs fiddling. <laughs> the goddamn documentary about mushrooms like it's always it's always it's always docs it's music docs and just like docs about food or cats cats like it's like i'm pretty sure that does it have the documentary about locking the unfinished final cut of cats they will when it comes out they will have oh i want to see that but the other thing the funny thing that was uh kind of exciting is they were they made a big deal that they finally had parasite and they had parasite 
fucking like two months after every single major theater in the area had it. Like Regal had Parasite. Like you having <laughs> Parasite is not that big of a deal. Plus you have it late. Like we've already seen it. <laughs> months ago. Yeah. Parasite, but Parasite had already had its major network premiere on NBC. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, surprised it wasn't the dubbed version. <laughs> it might be. I don't know. <laughs> uh all right I, I, yeah i think 2019 was a pretty solid year it, interestingly last year i had a really hard time organizing my top five and like i could have sw- swapped out any really any of the top five from last year but this this year mm-hmm. was a little bit easier to organize the uh the, the top five lists but yeah i think that's gonna do it for uh for this episode thank you so much for listening you can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net you can follow us on twitter at filmpulsenet at filmpulsekevin and at kbake underscore 99 and if you have a minute please consider reviewing us on your podcast platform of choice for kevin rakestraw and ken bakley my name's adam patterson we'll see you next week bye